Hello. Welcome to 145 of Kindled. I'm Haley Williams. Today I have a great conversation to share with you, and it's one that I got to have with Christina Heron, who is the campaign manager for Free to Choose Medicine and works with the Heartland Institute. Christina is an incredible woman who, during her time in college, participated in Young Americans for Liberty and was the state director for Turning Point USA. She has also worked on state, congressional, and presidential campaigns for liberty-minded candidates, including Rand Paul for president. So today, Christina and I are talking all about healthcare. We're going to discuss healthcare policy changes that we should expect to see under uh, the Biden administration, as well as things to look out for in the realm of public health policy. We've already dealt with as a country, as a nation, and in much of the globe with mask mandates. Um, but we now turn our attention to the next step in what it seems where we are kind of headed vaccine mandates and uh, travel, you know, requirements, those types of things. So we're going to talk all about that and um, with with a very liberty-minded point of view. So that's where Christina and I both are coming from. I think you guys will not be surprised by that, but I did want to let you know up front that that is the perspective we both speak from. So before we get into that, I do want to let you know a couple announcements. Number one, Thank you so much to all of you who went over to the podcast app and left a review for Kindled. I got a a decent amount of new reviews and I was so thankful for that. And then I realized it's probably because I don't really ever ask you. And when I do ask, it's often at the end of the episode. And so I probably miss some people uh, if you drop off before, you know, you make it all the way through. So I'm going to try and do that every single week. Here's my request for you to go leave a review for the podcast if you have not done that in the Apple Podcast app, or you can go over to my Instagram profile and click the link in my profile, and it I have a, a button there that will just take you directly to the place where you can leave a review. My Instagram is hayleywilliams.kindled, so that's where you can find me and the, the quick link to go leave a review. Um, next, I want to also let you know that Firestarters are my bonus episodes that come out every single Friday, and those are in addition to this podcast. So the difference between the two is this is a a weekly podcast where I interview guests on topics from a biblical worldview, um, and those are topics that, you know, range from everything from theology to culture to politics, Uh, everything in between. And then Firestarters is more of a one-on-one chat with me, a little bit more of a raw, unedited, and kind of uncut take. So sort of, I like to describe it as an Instagram story rant on steroids because it is recorded. You can replay it and you do get it in your inside the Patreon app when you become a Patreon supporter of Kindled. So it is $10 a month. You get a bonus episode every Friday. So then you're from me getting two episodes a week and one is more going to be interview format and one is more a one-on-one kind of chat, you know, between friends. Um, And like I said, I share stuff in that space because it is for a more limited audience. I share stuff over there that I don't share on this platform and in this space of the Kindled uh, podcast. So If you want more from Kindled, if you want to hear from me more frequently, I would love for you to come join me. You can learn more and sign up at patreon.com slash Kindled podcast. Lastly, today there is just some crazy weather sweeping the nation. So where I am in Kansas City, it is currently minus 
eight degrees um, freezing, freezing, uh, obviously below freezing cold. And even in much of the country where it might not be that cold, I know that you guys are seeing some snow and ice storms. So um, praying for all of you who may be, may be dealing with some severe weather and praying that you stay safe. Uh, be careful out on the roads, especially if you live in an area that is not used to snow and ice because people just don't know how to drive in it. And I've already heard there's been some terrible wrecks in Texas. So hope you guys stay safe and just be extra careful. All right. Here is my conversation with Christina Heron. Well, Christina, welcome to Kindled. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to listeners and tell them who you are and what you do before we get started. Sure. Um, My name is Christina Heron, and I am the Government Relations Manager of Health Policy at the Heartland Institute. And I've been here for about um, two years now. And um, I focus on all of our healthcare from state, local, and federal issues. And it's a wide range, but there's a lot going on in the healthcare industry and field right now. So a lot to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, there sure is, man. So a lot of us, I think, probably feel like we had the luxury of not really caring too much about healthcare policy. Seemed like one of those things that um, was for someday or or just was, you know, coasting by and, or maybe we didn't have, it didn't affect us too directly, even though there, there would definitely be pluses and minuses with any given administration and their policies. Now, all of a sudden it's become something that's actually affecting our everyday life. It's, it's affecting, you know, when we go to target or when we drop our kids off at school, we got to make sure they have their masks on, you know, I mean, it's just become so integral to our lives. Um, that a lot of us feel like we've had to become policy experts or had to start to really understand like, well, what is this constitutional or is this something that they can do? I don't, I don't know. Can they do this? Um, lots of questions. I've asked myself those things many times over the last year. And so, um, so do you sense that that is the case in the work that you're doing that a lot of people feel like they've just woken up to how uh, relevant and integral this stuff is to their life because of the year we just came through? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with your sentiment. And from my friends and family, we're always talking about it. I mean, it's in the news cycle 24-7, COVID-19. Anything related to COVID-19 is going to be in the news cycle. And so I think it's important people are educating themselves on the policies and Um, what their governments are doing. I think previously, maybe um, people turned a blind eye to a lot of the policies um, your governments can, um, you know, enforce. And we see some states with much stricter regulations than others. And, um, you know, a lot of them we should be concerned with because it's infringing on individual liberties. And um, I come from the philosophical view that individuals are best to choose for themselves, not a government entity. And as long as you're not hurting people and taking their stuff, you should choose what's best for you and your family. Um, I mean, I see it with my parents, my dad's, you know, 67 and in cancer remission and my mom's 69 with, um, you know, a heart condition. And for Thanksgiving, we figured out a way that worked. We quarantined, went to their house and went to my boyfriend's house, whose family um, is younger and wasn't as concerned with COVID-19. So we made it work. And um, it's sad to see that there are states where, you know, the government's limiting when you can see your family in your own house. I think things like that um, should be concerning. And, you know, I do think a lot more people are paying attention. And I, I think that's a really good thing that people are paying attention to what's going on. Yeah, I would agree. I, I would say it's too bad we weren't paying attention sooner, you know, but I, hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, and that is pun, really? not, not intended, 
but you know, I think what you said was, is true that, uh, you know, like you, like you mentioned, you know, you yourself may not be particularly high risk for COVID-19 and, and you weren't necessarily, uh, super concerned about contracting it for yourself, but you had people around you who were, and would have been higher risk had they got it. And so you, came up with your own solution, your own uh, thing that worked for your family in agreement with the other people who were part of that decision. And you did something that both valued them in their physical health and their, them as whole people wanting to have a relationship with you as a person. And, and I think that just points to the fact that we as individuals make better decisions for ourselves and those we love than the government can. We always will because we know the people around us. You know, the government doesn't know your dad's situation or your boyfriend's mom's situation. Let's say, you know, that, that she was going through some really hard personal issues and really needed family support around her and just moral support. And yet if we make this blanket rule that you can't see anyone outside your own household, well, now you can't care for her in this spiritual or emotional way, which is also important. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's a really good point too. Um, you mentioned about, um, you know, the emotional impact and things that COVID-19 is having. Um, and like you said, our, both of our parents were fortunate. They live very close to us and we were able to make decisions for ourselves that fit our family needs and that risk benefit um, or, you know, calculated risk analysis should be on us. We should decide what's too risky or not risky for our family and our lives. And we did that and it, it turned out fine, of course. But I think it is scary that there is one individual or one federal government making determinations for, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. And that just is, you know, really crazy to me. And then also back to the mental health issue. I mean, we're seeing huge rises in depression. We're seeing huge rises in suicide, um, especially in certain age groups. And I think to have politicians say that these are just unforeseen consequences to a lot of these um, policies that are enacted is really, is really wrong as well. I mean, humans are sociable creatures and we need to be able to be with people and, um, you know, I think there's a difference of, you know, purposely trying to spread a disease out in public versus in your own home, who you can spend time with and who needs you. And I think, um, you know, you have to make those determinations for yourself. And I just, I really think we're going to look back on these lockdowns that we've had and, you know, the lives lost from, yeah. you know, whether it's putting off going to the doctor, you know, for those, um, mandatory or annual exams, which we're seeing, or the depression suicide issue, I think we're going to look back. And um, I hope we look back and we can learn from what the governments did wrong by, um, you know, shutting us down and shutting us out. And so um, yeah, I mean, I agree that individuals make the best decisions for themselves. And, um, you know, we learn from that too, right? Sometimes we don't make the best decision, but how are we going to learn what's best for us if we have a government, you know, telling us what we're supposed to do? Yeah, that's, that's exactly you're you're taking the words right out of my mouth. Um, so getting into some of these uh, policy discussions, you are absolutely going to be the expert here in driving this discussion. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think we're going to start with with this. I would like to start with uh, kind of a little bit of conversation around um what what the new health care plan is from Joe Biden. Um, we all know that he was vice president under Obama. And so Obamacare was obviously pretty revolutionary in this nation, not in a good way, but it was it was a huge sweeping change um, from how healthcare had been handled previously. Can you kind of give us like a little bit of an overview of what that was and then maybe how Biden um, has said that he's going to expand on what they did? 
Sure. So I do want to say um, health, the healthcare industry is very complex and there's a lot of different aspects of it. Um, but just in general, before Obamacare, our healthcare system was not great. Um, then Obamacare was passed as a solution. And unfortunately, um, you know, it declined our healthcare system even faster. And so, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the right solution from a free market perspective, in my opinion. And I think the Biden administration will obviously look to build off Obamacare and expand it. They've mentioned that several times. They haven't give, given a ton of specifics on what that means, but a few things that I think you can probably look out for. Um, the individual mandate, which was repealed under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that was the tax bill that um, the Trump administration passed. And that individual mandate, all it is, is a mandate that requires every American to be covered and have health insurance. So it requires everyone to buy health insurance. We've never had a policy in the history of the United States that requires someone to have health insurance. Of course, if you have a car, you have to you know, have insurance to drive, but you don't have to have a car. So there's no insurance that has ever been mandated that any American has ever been required to buy. But the individual mandate did that. Um, it was deemed in, you know, courts to be unconstitutional and things like that. Um, so I think that debate will come back up. And I don't know if that'll be re-implemented under the Biden administration. And then we also have Medicaid expansion. I think that's something that we should look out for as well. Medicaid expansion, um, you know, kind of comes off as something that I think Democrats often claim to be this helpful um, you know, hand to low income earners. And of course, I want affordable health care for everybody, you know, and especially those that are vulnerable and, um, you know, are out of work and need it. I want, you know, resources to go to them. But unfortunately, Medicaid expansion often is just a subsidy from the federal government to states. And it's oftentimes states that do take the subsidy are states that are, um, you know, financially bankrupt or run very poorly. And so Medicaid expansion, um, you know, taking that grab from the federal government makes their books look better. But in the long run, we're paying for their, um, you know, poor financial habits of these states. And it actually, in turn, costs the taxpayers more down the line. And, you know, 35% of recipients of Medicaid use the emergency room when they should just be using, you know, a standard, um, you know, standard doctor, your general, general practitioner. So, um, you know, it, it's costly and we need to look at other options for that. Um, and then I, I think the mass mandates and the, you know, vaccine mandates are something we can continue to keep an eye on. I don't know how vaccine mandates are going to work. I think we're going to start getting into some really kind of hairy territory because I don't know if private businesses are going to start forcing employees to get vaccinated or what the courts are going to think of that. I think there will be court cases to arise if that starts to happen. Um, I don't know also if potentially enough um, people voluntarily get the vaccine, if we're going to hit herd immunity. I don't, I don't know, but I think yeah. we should definitely keep an eye on what, um, you know, the virologists say and, you know, the experts on this. But I do think that there will be some, you know, potentially threatening thre um, policies that threaten our liberties. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know how we're going <laughs> to, you know, fight against that. I think the states are definitely going to have to step up and, um, yeah. you know. Well, it kind of goes back to, to what you were saying at, at the first about even just your family's personal choice. Um, uh, your, your, individual ability to, to make that decision for yourself. I think where it points, we, we are seeing the benefits of federalism, which is that states get to make their own rules. 
Um, However, you know, and and that's why we've had people leaving California, leaving New York at record numbers because of the lockdowns there, because, you know, of, of just the, the crazy, the crazy way these governors or these uh, um, mayors have handled the virus and handled their response, which I would argue has been very poor um, in a lot of ways. And people are leaving because they can find respite in another state like Florida or South Dakota, where they've handled it very differently. And so you can kind of self-select and, and opt to, to choose to live in a place that, that allows you to live the way you want, um, within certain parameters, obviously to a degree, we, we all give up some freedoms, uh, to be part of a society. And, and we tacitly consent to abide by the rules of that society, by living right. in it. And, and so of course we know we, when we drive on the road, we consent to following the laws of, of traffic and lights and stop signs. And, and we do that. Um, however, when, you know, when, when you're talking about freedoms, at, like driving, the reason I, driving comes up a lot in these discussions, right? Because it's a privilege we, we enjoy. And, and people always say, well, you wear a seatbelt for your whole life. And that's not, um, you don't consider that, um, and a tyrannical overreach, right. But driving is a privilege, not a right, you know? Um, yeah. and so we would say from a constitutional perspective, like we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yet we don't have a right to drive. You lose your right to drive. For instance, if you have, you know, three or four DUIs, like you don't get to drive anymore. And so, uh, I just, I think that's an interesting, um, just kind of aside that people do, do often misunderstand. Have you, have you heard that? used a lot recently in regards um, to these things. Yeah. I mean, I've heard that before and I'm so liberty minded down to like the core that I think like any infringement, but I do understand a seatbelt yeah. is to protect your life, but it's really also to protect someone else who could be driving and you're, and also there's a difference, right? Cause you have a, you're on a public road, for example, you don't have to wear a seatbelt or even have a license if you're driving a car on your own property. But if you have a pub, if you're on a public road, you have to abide by those public right. rules, and you're you're you know that that's almost different. But I do think too what you mentioned: the states are the laboratories, um, you know, for democracy, and some of those decisions should be made at the state level, some local, county, even in your own home, like you said. So I think that this like overreach, we really need to start thinking about why is the government making this decision for me? Should they be making this decision for me? And then back to your um, road argument and driving, um, there's a philosophical view. I don't want to get too philosophical, but positive and negative rights. And our yeah. constitution, um, you know, protects negative rights. So it, prote- it protects your my right for you not to hit me, not to take my stuff, not to burn down my house negative negative rights, but positive rights, it doesn't protect, um, you know, it doesn't force me to give you an ibuprofen if I have an abundance and you need one morally, I should, but legally, there's no, um, you know, legally, there's no Mm -hmm. ramification for me not giving things to you. And so I think negative rights is what we need to go back to is that, um, you know, you're body is your property. And I don't think that the government should be forcing anyone to have do a vaccine or any type of thing. So I think it goes back to that negative rights. And that's what's protected in our constitution and um, your body is your property. And I don't think that the government should be mandating people to get vaccines. And we haven't seen that yet. But, um, you know, we've seen inklings that that is probably coming in some capacity. And 
I just, you know, I hope people do continue to wake up and be aware and, and, and realize that this just isn't in healthcare. This is in all facets, facets of our life. We see government making decisions for you and your family, and we've seen how they've failed, right? Because the government really has no incentive to do a good job like the private sector does because right. the private sector loses everything and the government just takes more of your tax dollars when they fail. So right. I don't want to get into, you know, preaching about the education system or FDA or all these other agencies, oh, I mean, but it's, that's what we're here. That's what I do here. So, I mean, you yeah. may be new, but that's, that's what we do. We preach about all of it. So, um, yeah. no, but you, you had a great point there that, yeah, the government does a poor job of managing its resources. We know the government's the most inefficient way to do anything. You know, yeah. if you can privatize something, you're always going to get better service. Why do you think yeah. if you have an urgent ship package, you do not go to USPS, you go to UPS or FedEx, that is it. You do not go. I mean, it's just not going to be the best service. And, and you know that you're going to pay a premium, you get something better. Um, it's the exact same concept, concept if you are choosing where to go on vacation or what airline to fly or what kind of car to drive. I mean, we understand this in every other sphere, but somehow people think that if the government does it for me, it's going to be, it's, it's good. It's a good thing. It's a, it's something that I want. It's going to benefit me. But in reality, um, it costs you way more. You get way worse service. Um, and it's also because I think of how we as humans utilize, um, things that the government does provide us. Like you mentioned that the Medicaid, uh, I might get this wrong, but you said with Medicaid, um, recipients, they often go to emergency rooms when they could go to a simple, um, outpatient or their primary care physician. Um, you know, why is that? Why? Well, okay. Think about it. If you had to pay out of pocket to go to the ER and you knew it's going to cost me, I'm going to get a $2,500 bill or a $5,000 bill in two weeks, or, or I could go and pay $150 to see my primary care physician. Like, which one are you going to choose? Now, obviously, granted that you you don't really think your life is in imminent danger. You're not having a heart attack. Right. You you would obviously choose the 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 latter. You would choose the cheaper option right. because you have to pay for it. But when you're not the one footing the bill, you got you opt for the highest amount of service you can get for the benefit, right? For for the right. money that's being spent on you and that is uh, or for what is available and accessible to you. So that's right. why we see that it's so inefficient because we would do the very same thing. I would do the same thing. If you give me, um, you know, if you say you have up to $2,000 a night to book a hotel in Florida, well, I am going to go to the absolute most expensive hotel I can afford for that amount of money. And I'm going to just go all out. Like I'm not going to spend the least amount I can. I'm going to spend as much as I can. And so we, people have maybe forgotten or, or just failed to, to think about this, like economically, even from a very basic, it seems like a very basic principle. And yet it seems like so many, um, legis- or, uh, uh, lawmakers and, and legislatures just, and even just common citizens just don't understand these basic principles. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. I think you, you made a lot of good points. I'm trying to touch base to all the things that you said, but, um, I do want to also mention too, just from, you know, an empathetic standpoint and a humanitarian standpoint, you mentioned the economic impact, but there's a humanitarian argument to be made as well. I think often um, people that are more conservative leaning or liberty or left or right leaning, um, whatever, constitutionalist, whatever you want to call us, um, that are more independent people um, are looked to as the bad guys because we don't want to give everybody free stuff. But the reality is, is that we're $27 trillion in debt and it's just growing. 
Um, we don't have any money to give anybody things. I wish if we did, if we had a surplus, give it to all of the people that need things. That's, right. that's great. But we don't, we're digging ourselves in a hole to where those resources that we actually need to offer up to people maybe aren't going to be there. And I know that, um, you know, voluntary giving is, you know, often better and we should look to that, but, um, there are some options I think that we can look to and would be better like expanding health savings accounts and expanding, expanding association health plans. So allowing individuals to group together for health insurance to lower cost. Um, you know, expanding telehealth, so allowing more rural residents or people um, that can't go to the doctor as much as they would like to have access. So rolling back a lot of the regulations um, that are keeping insurance companies, um, allowing them to do what they do and charge high prices to individuals is part of the problem. Um, and again, um, allowing people to put non-tax um, dollars away in HSAs. Um, all the time would be a great thing, right? But we don't have those options and we have this, you know, political party that's pushing socialism on healthcare and it's it's a huge problem. It's, it's not helping anybody. And we know um, that, you know, the welfare state is huge and growing and it just creates more dependence on the government. And we don't wanna see that in healthcare because we've seen it in other areas and it doesn't work. I wish it worked, but it doesn't. So we need to look to a more free market um, you know, solution to these things. And a lot of that is just allowing innovation and competition, allowing more insurance companies into the marketplace to offer different, you know, packages to people and things like that. And so the association health plans is something I would recommend everyone look into. Um, Senator Rand Paul has legislation um, on that. And he introduced that last last year and that would really allow people on the individual market who don't get insurance from their employers or don't get um you know insurance through any are uh, retired or whatever the case is they're on the individual market in iowa we have seventy five thousand people on the individual market it would allow those people to you know group together and get insurance right now insurance is attached to our job it's very arbitrary um, it's something that in the industrial revolution worked. It doesn't work today. People are bouncing around jobs. The gig economy is huge. You do a podcast, right? <laughs> so we have a lot of people that need health insurance, but there's no way to actually access it. And we have huge insurance company giants that have created laws that allow them to charge very high prices. But it'd be awesome if we could allow all of the people who go to Costco or the YMCA or these different association groups mm -hmm. to group together and then get lower prices for health insurance. But that's something we're missing in the market. And I would love to see something mm -hmm. like that happen. But unfortunately, I think we're going to have Obamacare grow. And in the long term, it's not going to be more costly to the taxpayer. It's just it's, it's not. You can look at the um, Congressional Budget Office. CBO has scores on legislation and um you know it, it's costly so i think so we have better options in the free you mean market that when i when i go to costco and buy my gigantic like you know jug of olive oil i could also maybe buy some healthcare with some people <laughs> yeah yeah that's what association health plans would allow for they have them but it's not legal for um you know all these different it could be orange theory fitness i'm sure a lot of people have heard of that i've done that you could have orange theory fitness with your yeah. membership health insurance 79 dollars. sign up for it costco we could have not? 100 100 triple a any group 
Right. Could sell a new Target red card. I don't know. It could be anybody. Yeah. And we could have hundreds of thousands of these associations, right. um, you know, creating options for people. And we know that with more options creates lower costs and creates competition. So yeah. that, that's what lowers our costs and that's what we want to see. But that's not what's going to happen when we have right. one federal government doling out a right. health insurance that isn't even that great. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you brought up the the humanitarian aspect because that is a criticism of con, conservative policies when it comes to healthcare is, uh, and even just the conversation in general is like, well, you don't, you don't want people to be healthy. You don't want people to have healthcare or you don't want people to get medical care. Um, you don't want them to have access to the resources they need. When in reality, you know, uh, a lot of the people who are saying those things just didn't pay attention or were not taught economics because uh, goodwill and uh, the the benefit and, and health of society at large is actually tied to capitalism because of this thing called the invisible hand, which I know you're familiar with. But it, the invisible hand is a metaphor for how in a free market economy, self-interested individuals can actually promote the general general benefit of the society at large by pursuing both their own benefit through profiting, um, through providing a service or a product that people want and need, and then and making a profit. And so it, exactly what you're describing we actually could have both. And that's the beauty of capitalism. Um, it doesn't have to be, and it actually isn't by definition, this like heartless, cruel, ruthless system that cares only about profit and not about people. It's It has intricately tied both the benefit of people and of profits, profits together in such a way that, that you get both when it's done. And, and there's absolutely ways to do it that are probably immoral, but you and I are not advocating for that. We're advocating for capitalism with heart, which both, you know, would benefit the people who are um, creating these services or these associations um, and providing their members with the benefit that they want and need, and then also being able to profit from it. I mean, I just don't get why that's not a win-win-win, you know? Yeah, I I completely agree. And I just do want to mention that a lot of times people mix cronyism with capitalism. Mm -hmm. And really the definition of capitalism is just the free exchange of services and goods. So it's two agreeing parties, one's the seller and one's the buyer. And that's it. Someone's giving someone a monetary or or something for their service or good. That's it. And Mm -hmm. cronyism comes in because you have this bridge from corporations, it's corporatism, really, and socialism are directly linked. You have corporations running the federal government, and they implement taxes, regulations, licensing, Mm -hmm. to keep the little guy out, to keep the small business out. I mean, we saw 100,000 small businesses permanently close in COVID-19. It's interesting that Amazon, Walmart, and all of these huge giants are still going strong. So I think it's always this like misconception that if you're conservative leaning or liberty leaning, that you are supportive of these big corporations and I'm, I'm just supportive of what the market wants. So it's called the free market because yeah. the market determines the need and government tries to determine that a lot and they just can't. And, you know, like you're saying back to the welfare state concept, it doesn't do any good. It's not a good for people to not give them dignity and work and mm-hmm. independence. Independence is the greatest thing we can give people. And I want people to be you know, working and providing for themselves and getting good jobs and climbing up the ladder and being successful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just government programs are not doing that for people. It's this cyclical, um, you know, it's it's a cycle, it's a cycle of poverty, and we're seeing it. 
And I see it and it's really sad. And, and unfortunately, I think there's a group of people out there who are either, they're either naive or really they're evil because they want to keep people in poverty. So I, I, yeah. I think there's people with good intentions. A lot of the voters have really good intentions and they want to help people, but you have to look at, you know, not just, yeah. right, not, not just the intentions of the policy, but what are the outcomes of the policies? And a lot of the policies are really hurting the most vulnerable people, vulnerable people that they're meant to help. And so I think, you know, we really need to look into that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. Um, I, I want to ask you about, you mentioned it a little bit, um, the, the vaccines and that's kind of the next thing, um, that feels like it's coming, you know, we've had mask man- mandates in place for, I mean, at least six months in most places, maybe close to a year in a lot of places as well. I think our mandates started here around, May or June, and I'm in the Midwest. So I might've been on the tail end of that. So it's definitely been at least half a year. Um, However, uh, my bigger concern is, is the vaccine mandates and and how that could be leveraged to, uh, to get compliance. And you, you brought up a term called medical fascism. Can you explain what that is for people and maybe the thinking behind it? Yeah, I mean, I saw that recently in an article. I'm trying to think of was well, either New York Times or something, but I think it's a really good way for me as a, call me a conservative, a libertarian, a constitutionalist, whatever I am. I'm just a free thinker, independent person, um, and I view medical fascism as um, you know this government entity that's forcing its hand in the healthcare field. I mean, I think healthcare of any category we're going to talk about should be the most personal category and should be patient centered. And I think, unfortunately, we're moving in a direction where you're a number and a statistic and the government is going to determine a policy based on based on their analysis for you. And that's really concerning. So I, I think that um, the mandates potentially might come for vaccines. I don't know. I think there, I think we might have enough individuals who are willing to get the vaccine and want to get the vaccine that we might not see that, but I could see it for flying. I could see people are getting the cards already. You already can see a vaccine card and it's stamped. And, um, you know, I think, that what we might see if you want to go into a restaurant, you have to be vaccinated. I don't know exactly, again, where that's going to go in the courts, because I don't know the legality of private businesses enforcing things like that. We've never really seen anything like that. We've seen public schooling do things like that, forcing yeah. vaccinations and things in public. But, but even I don't with know. that, you have, you, you can have a religious exemption. So right, is this right. going to, is this going to be one more way you, you could have a religious exemption against the COVID vaccine or or is this one that does not get exempted, you know? Right. Yeah. I think that those are good questions. And I think we should strongly be asking those questions to our politicians, whether it's your governors or your representatives. I think if you haven't yet and you have concerns about that, I would shoot them a message. I used to work in the House of Representatives and I can tell you when we get messages from constituents or a hundred messages in one day about one topic, there will be a response given to that. So I would strongly urge your elected officials before you go and vote for them again, what is your stance on this? Ask them, write them a letter. Um, You know, I think we should be asking those questions and hold them accountable to what they say. Mm -hmm. If they say, no, we would never mandate that. And then magically a year later, six months later, there's a mandate. I think we need to watch for what the politicians do and less, um, you know, less about what they say. Cause I think often they say what we like to hear and then 
um, their action or something completely else. Yeah. We saw that already with Biden. Um, you know, he said that he would get the next uh, COVID stimulus package signed within a couple of weeks. And then first day of office, he said, actually, it's going to be closer to April. So yeah. we already have seen that. It's like, yeah. you know, again, not that I agree with the stimulus, but I, sure. you know, it's like, okay, well, you know, and day one, we already have, you know, politicians being politicians saying one thing, doing right. another. We know that yeah. that's, that's what's going to happen. Um, right. So what about, you know, the future of the mask mandate? Do you, have you seen, you know, um, lawsuits or anything coming up against those that, that makes you think that, uh, that those will be deemed unconstitutional in certain places or at certain times, or what are you hearing from your end? Yeah, I did see, I did write about this a few months back. Uh, I, I think it was in Pennsylvania. There was a couple, um, that did actually, sue um based on the mass mandate because it was a they came from the argument that it was a freedom of expression issue and by wearing the mask you were basically complying with kind of this leftist dogma of you know socialism and being silenced and kind of having to support that policy view Mm -hmm. and they they actually um i think they actually won their their lawsuit and um I could send you the link to that article yeah, too, I would but be to see that. yeah, that was one of the main ones I've seen. Um, I haven't seen a ton else in the courts, but I, I think there will be more to come. I don't think this is ending here. I think there's a lot that's going to continue to come from yeah. this. Um, I haven't seen a ton of that, but I do, I do, you know, feel for the people that don't want to wear the mask. And I do feel for the people that do want to wear the mask. And, um, you know, I'm from the standpoint that I think we should let individuals again, choose what's best right. for them. Right. Um, I think there's different perspectives for different people for different reasons, yes. but I do, I do, you know, worry more about the vaccine and forcing and allowing a government to inject people <laughs> right. with something I think is very scary. I think forcing people to wear something on their faces, you know, also something that I think we're going to look back on and hopefully, hopefully question why we allowed that to happen. You know, I mean, we went from spilling tea in a harbor because of a small tax to where we are today. And, um, you know, it's kind of concerning. And I think it's also interesting once President Biden was, um, you know, inaugurated and was elected and then obviously just recently inaugurated, um, we saw some, you know, governors in places like New York and different, um, more liberal states kind of lifting, rolling back what they originally said when Trump was in office and saying, we need to open up this economy now because people yeah. are losing. And so it's really interesting how the, the, views, yeah. Yeah, the views on COVID also really coordinate with mm-hmm. the, you know, political leaders. So I think you need to pay attention to that too. And yeah, um, which is, which is frustrating because, because the mantra has been trust the science, trust the science. Right. But it doesn't appear that we're really trusting the science when there's a a political change or a change of office. And suddenly this, the science quote unquote changes the very next day. And, and quite literally, because the world health organization came out today and said that the PCR testing actually because of the you know the magnified way that it 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 actually analyzes um your uh whatever cells that it's inaccurate 
it's like, it's just, it's so funny that that would come out the day after inauguration. And I am like, what, what are we, what are you supposed to make of that? You know, it's just, it seems like you've got a a two-year-old throwing a tantrum over a sucker and he just got his sucker shoved back in his mouth. And so now he'll be good, you know, and it's just, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's also a lot of arbitrary policies, right? I mean, I think everyone, or I don't know if everyone's seen it, but there'll be, you know, pictures of New York, New York, for example, and they'll, they can't eat indoors. So they'll create a infrastructure yes. building outdoors. <laughs> they'll create not indoors, indoors outdoors. <laughs> yeah. Because it complies. And so a lot of these regulations, I think we really need to remember, and I, I'm sure everybody or many people who have gone out to the target or the grocery store or done some of the errands you need to run, you've kind of been there and you know, maybe you're returning something and someone has to touch your phone or you're getting too close to somebody and you're not sure. And the, you know, employees are like, it's okay. We don't know what's going on either. We don't know the rule of where you're supposed to exactly stand. And it's just, it's all very, um, it's a very crazy thinking and, um, it's just, it's really arbitrary. And I think it's just kind of this show, but reality. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's all about the optics. And I think we need to remember that and kind of look at everything, you know, take our blinders off sometimes and, you know, kind of question ourselves and be very introspective and, you know, ask, are these things really working? Are they really relevant to my life? Maybe they, we shouldn't be doing some of these things. Right. And I, I agree. Uh, I was at a coffee shop recently that, you know, the, the rule you, you wear your mask to walk in and take it off as soon as you sit down. So I, I was at a table in the middle of the room. I didn't have an electrical outlet. I needed to plug my laptop in. So I stood up with my laptop to move maybe four feet away to a table that was next to the wall. And the second I stood to my feet, the barista shouted out from behind the counter, ma'am, you need to put your mask on. Just, you know, yelled at me in the middle of the, the, the whole place just, and and all I had done was stand up. You know, I, I, I had, I was not, I wasn't running around. I wasn't like getting in people's faces. I wasn't, you know, even really moving very far, but it was just the, the mere, the, the arbitrary legalistic rule of if you're, if your butt is in a chair, it's fine. But if your feet are on the floor, it's not fine. It just, it makes absolutely no sense. And of course I've complied with a lot of these rules because I want to live my life and I just want to go to a coffee shop and get some work done. It's it's like, it's not worth it to me to be um, always fighting because I don't have that much energy. Uh, Frankly, I have three little kids, but, but for me to just be like, Oh my goodness, like people have just become so crazy that they're not thinking clearly. And, and even if I was breaking that arbitrary rule to realize, Oh, look, you know, she's only moving a few feet. It's not a big deal. I'm not going to make a big scene or I'm not going to freak out over it, but people have lost the capacity to maybe think critically about some of these issues and be like, you know, me breathing, sitting versus standing up is, is this is no difference. It's like having a peeing section in the pool. You know, it's like, it gets everywhere. I just don't understand some of these rules. I know a lot of us feel, feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, go ahead. Yeah. It just, it's just crazy. It went from slow the spread. I mean, I remember when that was the terminology, we're going to slow the spread. And now it's like nine months, how many months later? And it's like, you really can't be indoors without a mask on, but as long as you're outside, you can all have masks off. And it's just interesting how this virus supposedly doesn't spread if yeah. if you're outside. It just, it's just interesting. And yeah. it is the optics. And it's just really crazy, I think, for a lot of us logical, more reasonable people yeah. to just kind of 
consider that this is our reality. It's a very strange reality to we're be all, in. Yeah, we're all having to pretend like these rules yeah. make sense, even though we know they don't make sense. And they're right. they're actually clearly not helping because even in cities where we've had mass right. mandates, the data does not show that they are meaningfully impacting the cases. So right. virus is going to virus, you know? And so again, in close contact, I think it should be anybody's choice if they want to wear one. I just think that what we're seeing from the science is actually not proving that they are um, really doing what people thought that they would be able to do, you know? And a lot of that is just, you know, we have so little control. We're, we're trying to control what we can, which I understand. Um, but yeah, from, a, from the, the health standpoint of, um, you know, having the freedom to make your own choices. Uh, do you see this as something that uh, is, has been somewhat of a slippery slope? Like we started with masks and, you know, we have the mandate. Do you, is that, is that your perspective that you can see how this has uh, slippery sloped us down into now we're talking about whether or not we can mandate vaccines? Yeah. I mean, I do think so. I think, especially since we started out with this slow, the spread, it's going to be four weeks to everybody where I'm at. It's just such a norm now. And I think I worry about younger, um, you know, 25 and younger, I mean, people whose brains aren't fully developed and are living through this and just who are aging through this and they haven't come to their viewpoint of what they maybe politically believe or personally their personal beliefs and grown into that as much. Um, I kind of worry about how they're being trained in this way. I worry about, you know, my nieces, my three nieces and how they're being trained in school and you must wear the mask. And I I just wonder how that's going to impact people. I mean, I have a quick story. My dad was diagnosed with cancer this summer, um, an aggressive form of prostate cancer. Yeah. He's in remission now. So it's great, but he was again, diagnosed with prostate cancer and it was aggressive. And he was told by his doctor that he had to get surgery and, um, we're in Iowa and it was just really bad timing because a few days earlier, all non-elective surgeries got canceled because of COVID-19. We had zero COVID-19 cases that were hospitalized in my county, but he could not get surgery. It was very scary. It was a very big reminder that socialized medicine doesn't work. Um, And he ended up not getting surgery. I wrote an op-ed to our, about our governor in our, you know, Des Moines register and two two radiology oncologists reached out to us and said, have you tried radiation? We hadn't, he hadn't talked to a radiology oncologist and then he did and actually got radiation and now he's in remission. So it's really great, but it was really scary at the moment that he needed to get surgery. And I know there's other people who, um, you know, had scheduled surgery. So anything that's non-emergency was canceled in other States as well. So whether it was a transplant or, um, you know, if you have breast cancer or, or whatever, prostate cancer, any cancers like that, um, your surgeries were postponed indefinitely. And that was a really scary thought. So we kind of started off with this slow, the spread, and then it kind of went to, you know, we're going to stop all surgeries just in case there's this huge, you know, yeah. amount of COVID-19 patients. So I think a lot of this has just turned to COVID-19 and we've kind of forgotten about <laughs> other diseases yes. and other ways of life. And I, I do think it's a slippery slope again, I do think we're just allowing the government to make these determinations. And a lot of people, I, I, I think, want to do something and, you know, want to argue against this. And I think a lot of people maybe don't know what to do. Uh, again, I would recommend writing your legislator and mm-hmm. um, doing those at, those at least basic things that you can do. But 
Um, yeah, I do worry about the slippery slope aspect of this. I do worry about the younger generations growing up in something like this. I don't know how that's going to impact them. And, you know, my three nieces, I, I, I worry about them because it is, it is kind of sad to see, you know, <laughs> my little smiling faces with masks on and, you know, being forced under this kind of tyrannical government rule and not really being able to question and i just wonder for you know their development how that's going to impact them so yeah i agree i mean my daughter is in school it's she's in kindergarten my oldest and um, they they have to wear masks thankfully they can wear the the plastic little shields that you can see their smile and they really don't impact their breathing and they really don't do a dang thing in terms of protecting against the virus but that's not my concern my concern is her because because this virus has shown not to be spread in young kids i'm just concerned more about the emotional development the sociological development uh social development and just her ability to not recognize her peers as a risk to her and to look at everyone as a something to be afraid of or to be scared of infecting, like almost like they start to think of themselves as dirty or bad because they have to stay six feet away from your friends. Don't touch your friends. Don't get close to your friends. When like little six-year-olds, all they want to do is just grab each other and run to the playground and hold hands and, you know, and, and tell secrets. And yet now all these things have kind of become these taboo demonized things that, um, that, that we're, we've introduced such fear uh, around something that for them doesn't need to have that much fear attached to it. Of course we can be smart and use hand sanitizer and, and all of those things that, that might be just good sense things, washing our hands. Um, not against that, but when it becomes something that is really changing the way that they're starting to view themselves and others, that's when I think it's like, wow, we really do not know what impact this is going to have on them as they get older. And, um, and that's why I, as a parent, just individually, I'm very honest with her about what we believe. And I mean, (laughs) to to the detriment of, uh, of even her own, um, you know, she said stuff in class. She's been like, yeah, my dad says masks, masks don't work. And (laughs) her teacher's like, well, some people think they do. They don't. I'm like, okay, honey, we don't need to share that thought with, (laughs) with our teacher, but you know, but I want her to, I want her to know that, it's okay to think independently. You yeah. should form your own opinions. I mean, obviously I'm helping her form opinions, but I'm, I'm helping. I want her to think for herself in a right. world that is telling her there's only one way to think one way to be one way to act one thing to do. We're telling her, no, like you actually, that's not the only way to view this. There's other things to consider besides just the virus. We've got, we've got other things to, to take into account and to weigh and there, there are many equally or more important factors that go into the choices that we're making as a family. So right. from a, from a mom standpoint that there's always, um, you know, we always have, we have more influence over our kids than these institutions do, even their schools or the government. We are the most influential people in their lives and we can continue to tell them the truth about, um, about, you know, what they need to fear and not fear. I'm sure you're doing the same thing for your nieces in whatever capacity you can. Yeah, I completely agree. So, um, so ending kind of this conversation, you said the best thing people can do is be contacting their local representatives. Um, how, how do you recommend people, you know, really do that? Like, is it just, Hey, I'm worried about this certain issue, or I want you to be aware of this or, or what, what does someone say in an email like that? Cause a lot of us have probably never even sent an email to that effect. Well, I I just mean, especially if you have a question about a policy, I mean, for my dad's 
issue. I mean, I'm a writer by trade. That's what I do is write opinion editorials. So it was easy for me to whip up an article and send it to our local paper and say, this is a problem and make sure that people are aware of it. So if you see a problem in your community, whether it's a mass mandate or they canceled all elective surgeries, it might be something that the general public just doesn't know about. So yeah. I, I would get, I would, you know, whether it's, that's a, you know, 200 word piece or just something you could post on Facebook, I would let people know what's going on. And then I, if you have a question with your legislator about a policy they're implementing, whether that's distribution of the vaccine, I mean, we're seeing it here where my boyfriend's 30, but he's an essential employee and he runs marathons and he's really healthy, but because he's an essential employee, he gets it. But my dad and my mom who have a heart condition and, and cancer remission and are late sixties don't get access to it. So, mm-hmm. so if there's something like that, I would contact your legislator and Um, you know, figure out what district you're in, whether that's the state legislature or federal, you're going to have two representatives in Congress and um, two senators, excuse me, or one representative in Congress and the House, sorry, and then two senators. So that's three people you could contact federally, and they'll listen to you if you're their constituent. You should be able to go online and try and figure that out. And then you have your state representative and state senator and governor. So there's six people you could send the same question to, the same email. If you don't want to see something, if you don't want to see vaccines mandated, I would let them know, even if it's not, you know, Biden maybe hasn't said it or it hasn't been initiated by Congress. A lot of things, they slide into these omnibus spending bills that have nothing to do with, you know, some of the main issues and they shove a ton into those bills. And so I would just try and be aware um, you know, of what's going on. And if you do have questions, you can send an email to your legislature a legislator and um, you should just be able to Google who they are and yeah. um, everything's different, but I would, I would make sure to contact them. Um, or even if it's local, there's County rulings and city ordinances and things like that. And yeah. um, I would just say, yeah. yeah, I think we need to be vocal as women. If there's not women on here and your men be vocal too, I think we need to do it for our children and for ourselves mm-hmm. and our family that we need to be vocal about our beliefs. And um, you know, if that's, you know, individual liberty and allowing us to choose for ourselves. I think we just need to make sure we continue to be vocal about that regardless of who's in office. So that's such, such a great point. And one that I I hope that we all take to heart and actually take some action on, um, like use your voice while you have it, you know, um, as long as you have a voice, you can be using it. Um, and like you said, we have a lot of means of recourse of, uh, letting our elected official n- officials know what we are thinking and the things that we're seeing. Like you said, a lot of these issues are just so localized, especially that's that's brought to mind just the importance of our local representation in government yeah. because of the ways that our cities are handling things or the, the, the sports that are getting canceled or whatever it may be yeah. that are being decided by county commissions or, you know, whatever you may have. So, um, so that's a really yeah. good reminder. Sorry. Your school board, your school, school board. board is such a big one. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I've never emailed my school board so much as I have these last six months. So, um, so yeah, it's been, it's been good to just remind me of my responsibility too, as an individual citizen. Um, Christina, thank you so much. Is there anywhere that people can uh, connect with you online or um, follow your work? Yeah. Um, feel free to shoot me an email at chern, H-E-R-R-I-N, at heartland.org. Otherwise, um, heartland.org, you can find all of my publications um, under our healthcare section. And if you ever have any questions or 
Um, you know, anything that we can assist with on the policy side or anything that came up that's a problem, we'd love to write about it and, you know, promote it and, you know, to our audiences as well. So perfect. Yeah. I will link that in the show notes so people can find your articles there as well. Thank you so much, Christina. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right, guys, that's all I have for you today. Thank you for tuning in. Um, I did take a poll over on Instagram about which episode you wanted to hear next. This one won by one vote over false teachers. So that means that next Monday we will be talking all about false teachers with Marcy Morris from Provoked to Proclaim over on Instagram. That's her handle. So that's going to be an excellent interview. And we've been talking about false teachers in the Firestarters uh, community for a couple weeks now. This episode is going to kind of round out that that conversation and really give you a biblical um, perspective and uh, scriptural basis for why we should lovingly call out false teachers. All right, guys, have a great rest of your week. And if you're in fire starters, I will see you Friday. And if not, see you next Monday. Bye.